You're listening to Sage Spirituality, reaching back, leaning in, and seeking out a deeper experience with God, with your host, Joel Marvin. Welcome to another episode of Sage Spirituality. I'm your host, Joel Marbot, and I'm just so pleased to be here today. Uh, we have an amazing uh, episode ahead of us, and I just want to take a moment before we delve in and pull up to the table and lean in and dig deeper in the Word of God. I want to take a moment and just thank you. I want to thank all the listeners that have been a part of this journey with us and have you've made us uh, absolutely successful, and uh, every week the numbers are growing and we need to continue to push forward. I, I want to count on you guys. I want to ask you that maybe this week you would share uh, the content, maybe just in a conversation with someone at work or possibly with someone at your church, and invite them to the table. Invite them to listen, to subscribe, and also to share. And every time you rate one of our episodes, it just pushes us up the ladder just a little bit more. And I want to ask you to continue to do that. We can't do it without you. We need you, the listener, to be our boots on the ground and help us to move forward and push forward and continue to grow. And that way other people can grow in a deeper walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I also want to take a pause and I want to thank probably the most important person to this podcast, my amazing wife, Leah. Every episode. She edits. She listens. There's so much content. If it's a 25-minute episode, there's probably 40 minutes of content that she has to go through and all of the mistakes I make and all of the grammatical errors and all the things like that, she's able to go through and edit those things. And without her, it would absolutely positively be impossible to do this podcast. And I just want to thank her and give her a shout out today here on this episode of Sage Spirituality. Today, we want to talk about something that really is rampant in our society. Something that is absolutely maybe at a fevered pitch like never before. I want to talk to you about anger, but specifically the damage that anger is doing to our world, our society, our families, our jobs, our countries, but more than anything to us as individuals. It makes me think when I'm talking about anger, about the news anchor Howard Bill in the 1975 classic movie Network. I don't know how many of you guys have ever seen it, but I remember this one scene so clearly where he stands up and he throws open his windows and he yells out the window. He says, I'm mad as heck and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, he didn't say that, but he said something very akin and a little bit too flowery for me to say here on the podcast, but what happens is a is an absolute chain reaction that all through the city, people throw open their windows and they start yelling out the window the exact same phrase over and over, we're just mad, we're angry, and we're not going to take it anymore. But what's crazy is it was not one voice, it was not one goal, it was not one thing that was making them angry or mad. It was just a big hodgepodge of of wishes and and frustrations. And, you know, Dr. Jeff DeGraff in Psychology Today, he kind of points this out in an article, and he says it was a, a list of misfit wishes that would make a list of Santa Claus appear bureaucratic and restrained. 
No, I want you to think about that. When we start airing our grievances, when we start talking about the things that make us frustrated, when we start talking about the things that make us mad, so many times that list just continues to grow and become more minute and more uh, detailed and more almost petty. Just the small things that make us angry. We can actually see Newton's third law of motion. How many of you guys remember that from science class? Uh, For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For that reason, the more angry we are, the more anger there is in the world because liberals are always going to be mad at conservatives, and conservatives are always going to be mad at liberals. Progressives are going to be mad at traditionals, traditionalists, and Democrats are always going to be mad at Republicans, and Republicans are always going to be mad at Democrats. Socialists are always going to be mad at capitalists, and capitalists will always be mad at socialists. Cats will always be mad at dogs, and dogs will always be mad at cats. Good will always be mad at evil, and evil will always be mad at good. And when we think about anger in that way, the more we cultivate anger, realistically, the more it grows. It doesn't just end with us. And statistically speaking right now, 22% of Americans are in a state of anger. At this moment, one in five Americans are in a state of anger at this moment. The younger you are, the more likely you are to be angry. If you're over 50 years old, the statistics drop down quite a bit. Uh, 30 to 49, you're quite a bit less angry. But when you hit 29 to 15-year-old age bracket, it's one in three Americans are angry right now. I would probably guess that they can't even give you a definition of exactly what they're angry about. They're just angry about everything. You know, it's been said that anger is a feeling that makes your mouth work faster than your mind. I know that I can confess that that's happened to me a couple of times where things have been said and they weren't really thought through. They weren't really processed. They weren't really wrapped in my Christian values and they came out of my mouth and and I and and unfortunately I had to deal with the fallout because remember Newton's law of third motion, if I express my anger, then most likely what I'm doing is I'm setting off a powder keg of anger in the life of another person. There's a few studies that have been done on the damage, physical damage that anger does to our lives. It It wreaks havoc on our health and our emotions. University of Washington School of Nursing did a study on anger problems in husbands and wives, and they went through uh, countless hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of marriages that had anger issues. And what they came to find is that the previous evidence that anger problems and depressive symptoms have been linked to all major causes of death, but they found that wives specifically found a greater association between anger and symptoms of depression And while men tended to instead experience an association between anger and health problems. So realistically, what they found out is when a woman deals with anger, she's going to deal more with depression. And when a man deals with anger, he's going to deal with more health problems, probably with heart problems, probably with lung problems, uh, all types of problems in their life. Anger is is an issue that will absolutely destroy us if we're not careful. Also from Ohio State University, they found out that when we are angry, that our bodies struggle to heal. 
our bodies are filled with cortisol, a stress hormone, and it absolutely detains the body's capability of healing itself. Now, I want you to think about that. If I'm angry, that means that I'm going to have more time in the hospital bed. I'm going to have more time trying to recover. And quite possibly, I'm going to shut my physical body down to a point that my body cannot even heal itself. And finally, at the Harvard School of Public Health, they studied the hostility in men and found that those with higher rates of hostility not only had poor pulmonary functioning, breathing problems, but they experienced higher rates of decline as they aged. So the more angry you are, the more damage you're going to do to yourself. Now, this reality is reflected in a quote by a very non-spiritual person, but a very wise person, I would say, American author Mark Twain. He put it this way. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Anger is an acid, and it's eating you away from the inside out. But what did Jesus say about anger? Now, we heard about Mark Twain, and we heard about Harvard and Ohio State, and we've heard the statistics. But what did Jesus say about the detriment that anger causes to our life? Matthew 5, verse 21, up to verse 26, Jesus said this. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that... Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him. Least your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Now here in these verses, we can see exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us about anger. There's very, very uh, di direct teaching here. There's, it's not something that's subtle or hidden, but it does need a bit of unpackaging. Let us dig a little bit deeper into this text and find exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us. The first thing we notice is that anger by nature will, if it's left unchecked, escalate. Now, there was a young girl who came to her father, and she was writing a paper for school, and she asked her dad, she said, Dad, what is the difference between anger and exasperation? The father replied, it is mostly a matter of degree. Let me show you what I mean. And with that, the father went to the telephone and dialed a number at random. To the man who answered the phone, he said, hello, is Melvin there? The man answered, there's no one living here named Melvin. Why don't you learn to look up numbers before you dial them? See, said the father to his daughter, that man was not a bit happy with our call. He was very, very, very busy with something, and he was annoyed. Now watch, the father dialed the same number again. He said, hello, is Melvin there? The father asked, no, look here, came the heated reply. You just called this number, and I told you there is no Melvin here. You've got a lot of nerve calling again. The receiver was slammed down hard. 
The father turned to his daughter and said, You see, that was anger. Now I'll show you what exasperation means. He dialed the same number, and a violent voice roared, Hello! The father calmly said, Hello, this is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? Now that's a little bit funny, a little bit humorous, but unfortunately our anger does not stop with exasperation. In verse 22, Jesus talks to us about our wiring. Remember, when we hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, what he's doing is he's telling us how to live and how to live life in abundance. He's giving us insight into the way we have been made from the beginning of time, the way God wired humans. And listen to what Jesus says here. He says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, when we look at that verse, we realize that anger will escalate. Just like I told you, just like the little story goes, it's calling the wrong number a couple of times, anger will go uh, to exasperation. But here Jesus actually takes it a couple steps further, maybe showing us that our anger, when it's left unchecked, can fly out of control very, very quickly. We go from unjustified anger to hate, and from hate to outright contempt. I'm not sure if you know what contempt is, but contempt is coming to a place where you just want someone to suffer. We get to the place where we loathe the person and actually wish harm on that object because of our contempt. We truly hope and even fantasize about them getting their just desserts. Maybe we don't want them to die, but boy, we really want them to get it. We want everybody to see just how big of a jerk they are, and we want them to suffer because of what they've done to us. Jesus is saying that we can quickly allow ourselves to be drawn to the same mental state as a person who is willing to kill another person, all because our heart's desire is for them to be harmed are for things that go badly for them. You know, Paul points out something very, very important in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When we embrace anger, we're embracing the enemy himself. Even when we have justified anger, I will tell you this, I'll take a pause right here. And you know what? As Jesus points out, there is a time to be angry. Paul said it right here in Ephesians 4, that we should be angry and sin not. So what would justifiable anger be? It would be anger at sin that is damaging or hurting other people. It could be anger at legalism. Remember Jesus at the temple? He was angry because the Jewish people had put laws that prohibited people from accessing God. They had invented man-made rules and conditions for salvation that God had never placed inside of the temple. And Jesus was angry about that. He was angry that people were profiteering off of the gospel, that they were taking advantage of widows and orphans, and that they were making themselves rich because they were doing kingdom work. We can be angry because of injustice to others. We can think of a few. These are just a few that we can name. But most of our anger issues do not reach this justifiable level, do they? 
We get angry because our team lost their game last week or we get angry at the guy at work who got the promotion instead of us. We get upset over a Facebook post or we get angry because we get cut off in traffic. We get mad because we order a hamburger with no pickles and they put pickles on it and and we had to take them off and that took a grand total of three seconds to open up the hamburger and take the pickles off. Or we get angry and we get turned sideways because of a misunderstanding or because we heard something that was said the wrong way. Realistically, when we look at these verses in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is talking about anger, he really does not talk about the physical aspect of being angry, but he talks about the eternal, the soul aspect. And I want to let you know that when we hang on to anger, that acid is not only destroying our health, it's not only destroying our emotions and our mental state, but it's also destroying little by little our soul. Jesus points out in verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is so clear here. He says that when you get to the point of hating, loathing, or having outright contempt for another human, you need to realize that you are separated from God. The longer you hold on to your anger, the more dangerous it will become. It will definitely keep you from intimacy with God, but it will also cause an issue for God as well. Right here, he states that even if you're bringing an offering, a love offering, a gift, a sacrifice to the Lord, and you're angry with your brother, he doesn't want it. He wants you to lay it on the altar and walk away from it and go deal with your anger issues and go deal with your hate and go deal with your loafing. I want you to think about that. God doesn't even want your offering if you're holding on to this cancer called anger. He doesn't want to receive it unless you've resolved the issue at hand. Our anger is like a train. I don't know if any of you guys have ever traveled on a train, but one of my favorite things to do is the very few times I've ever been to Europe is to be able to buy a rail pass and just jump on and off of trains all over Germany and France and Belgium and Holland and England, wherever we're traveling. We love to travel on a train. And what's crazy is many times you get into a train station and all the announcements are in German or in French or in a language you don't understand, and you're doing your best to try to jump on the right train. But there's been a couple of times that I've jumped on the wrong train. Jumped on the wrong train and only found out after a few minutes of being on the train that I was on the wrong train and the doors had already slammed shut and it was taking off. Now, when you get on the wrong train, the first thing you want to do is get off of that train as soon as possible. Because the longer you're on that train, it's taking you further and further away from your desired destination. And that's what anger is. Anger is the wrong train, friend. And when you jump on that train of anger, the best thing for you to learn to do is to jump off that train and realize the longer you stay on that train, it is drawing you further and further and further away from your desired destination, which is intimacy with God. The longer you hoard, the longer you hold on to your anger, the longer and the further away you're going to be from God. Now, I absolutely love what St. Augustine said. 
He just said it very directly. He said, is it any merit to abstain from wine if one is intoxicated with anger? Think about that. Maybe you're listening today and you feel like you've got all your ducks in a row and you love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you you read your Bible and you go to church and you, you don't sin. You don't do anything uh, evil toward other people. But maybe you're harboring hate today. And maybe you've realized that while I was speaking, that hate has been causing you to be drawn away further and further. Maybe like St. Augustine said, you're intoxicated by your anger. And realistically, if we're intoxicated by anger, we can be sober in every other area of our life, but that intoxication is going to take us far from God. Now, St. John Climacus says this. He wrote a book called The Ladder of Divine Ascent. He's a desert father, and he, it's just kind of a study for monks that lived in the desert, and it's a pretty heavy, heavy, heavy read. But there's a couple of things that he would talk about inside of the monastery and about anger. Now, I want you to think about that. Men who are following after God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, praying, reading the word, uh, sacrificing, serving in the church, but he still had to deal with anger as a desert father, as one of the spiritual leaders of a monastery. And he said this. He said, if the Holy Spirit is peace of soul as he is said to be and as he is in reality, and if anger is disturbance of heart as it actually is and as it is said to be, then nothing so prevents his presence in us as anger. Nothing prevents his presence in us as anger. Let that sink in. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from God more than anger. Now, St. John Cassian, he said this, no matter what provokes it, Anger blinds the soul's eyes, preventing it from seeing the sun of righteousness. When we grab on to hate, when we grab on to anger, when we hang on to it, realistically we're being blinded from the Lord and we can't see the Lord in the things that are going on around us. St. Maximus the Confessor wrote in 500 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, he said, when you are insulted by someone or humiliated, guard against angry thoughts, lest they arouse a feeling of irritation and so cut you off from love and place you in the realm of hatred. When we hang on to anger, we allow ourselves to be cut off from love. Now, I'm going to tell you this, it's impossible for us to be cut off from the love of God because that is an impossible love. God is love. And it doesn't matter how far we've gone down the path of anger or, or how far we've gone down the path of loathing. God loves us. But the problem is, is we put ourselves in a situation where we cannot receive the love of God. Anger becomes a wall. It becomes a barrier that we have built ourselves and we isolate ourselves from the love of God. The author of Hebrews said this in chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. That we're supposed to cut it off at the root. We're not supposed to allow a root of bitterness, a root of anger, a root of hate and loathing to take root in our life because when it springs up, it causes trouble and it will cause many, many people to be defiled, to fall away 
to leave their relationship with God. Now, this brings me to a point. We've talked about the physical dangers, the emotional dangers. We've also talked about the spiritual dangers of anger. And we have to concur with Mark Twain. Like I said, I know he's not a spiritual reference, but I have to be absolutely 100% in agreement that the acid of anger is doing more damage to our lives than it is on the others with whom we're angry. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about how do we cut the fuse of this powder keg that we call anger. This powder keg that's about to destroy us is going to destroy our families. It's going to destroy our health. It's going to destroy our mental health. It's going to destroy our, our future. It's going to destroy our relationship with God. And eventually, it could destroy our eternal destination. So what can we do with this situation? You're listening to Sage Spirituality. Stay tuned for part two of this episode.